wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isaiah 40 tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Now let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would come and that you would speak to us. Remove me uh, so that Jesus, you're seen so that we get a picture of a true community, the new community of the church. God, would you be honored and glorified and would we be changed as a result of being in your word and as a result of your spirit being at work. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So bear with me just for a minute here, and let me give you a quick biblical background if you've not been to Christ Central at all, uh, to kind of give us context for where we are in Acts. Genesis chapter 1, God calls Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Adam and Eve were called to expand the garden to the ends of the earth. To expand the garden, the garden was a place where God was ruling and reigning. It was God's kingdom on earth. And Adam and Eve were to have children. They were to take care of the land. They were to expand the garden to the ends of the earth. But we know, right, Genesis chapter 3, that sin and rebellion happened, and God sent Adam and Eve packing out of the garden. And ultimately, Jesus comes to restore and to redeem all that was lost. He came, as we have seen in the Gospels, proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the rule and the reign of God was on earth through Jesus. Jesus lived, died, rose, is now reigning over the whole world, and sent his spirit upon the followers. And the spirit gives birth to this new community, a community that is called to be on God's mission to the world, his kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. And this new community is the church. The church. I had a seminary professor who said, it is the kingdom, therefore the church. It is the kingdom, therefore the church. Meaning, the church is the vehicle by which God uses to display his kingdom to the world. The church is the inbreaking of God's rule and reign on earth. Now, church for a lot of people, is a word that can either stir up hurt or disappointment, and perhaps for some of you, laughter. Right? And, I, and I'm not here to say that the church has not hurt people, has not disappointed people, has not been a laughing point at some times. I will readily own that. I was someone who was hurt and disappointed with the church growing up. The church is far from a perfect place, right? If it was perfect, I could never be a pastor. And if it was perfect, you would never be let in either. <laughs> so we can all cheer up. We can cheer up. And, and many will say, I love Jesus. I like Jesus, but I hate the church. But what we see in the Gospels and in Acts is that Jesus came from his kingdom, therefore his church. Jesus came, lived, died, rose, and reigned for the sake of his church in the world. A great hymn says, from heaven he came and suffered. To be the only God, 
her and for her life, he died. The church. The church is God's bride. The bride comes. St. Augustine, a bishop in Africa in the 4th century, said this, You cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. He also said this, The church is the bride. And she's also a poor, but she's my mother. And the church is full of brokenness, and it's dirty, and it's messy, and yes, even Acts chapter 2, which can be idealized by many, is a church that is dirty and messy and broken. We will see throughout the book of Acts that this is a church full of greed and sexual perversion and discrimination. The church is a whore, but she's our mother. And it is the way that God brings his kingdom to earth. God loves the church. When I was in East Asia doing mission work, we were mainly concerned with seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we saw over 100 people in a very short amount of time profess faith in Jesus. And I remember the 23-year-old leading this team thinking, there has to be more than them just saying a prayer and saying that they now believe in Jesus. There has to be more than that. And, and I started reading scripture. Uh, and I started reading the only theology book that I had with me in East Asia, Wayne Groom's Systematic Theology. It's about this big. I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, studying and reading the scriptures in this theological book, and I began to see in the scriptures the planting and the starting of churches as people came to faith. As people in different cities came to trust Jesus, elders and deacons were appointed to oversee the church. I began to see in scripture baptism, the Lord's Supper, which we call sacraments. I began to see that faith in Jesus is not only individual, but it's communal. People live life together. And God was in the business of redeeming people, community. And then the lights went off for me in the 23-year-old. It is the kingdom, therefore the church. And then I understood that you cannot have Jesus and not have the church. If you have Jesus, you must have the church. Jesus came for a people, for community. And that is why Timothy and I planted and started this church, Christ Central, just a little bit over one year ago. Christ taught his followers to pray, thy kingdom come. It's the kingdom, therefore, the church. So Timothy and I fell in love with the city of Durham. We wanted and we still long to see Durham restored and redeemed to Jesus. Therefore, we planted a church. Now, I left last Sunday after worship. And I was humble and thankful. was very excited for all that God was doing in our church. Now, we're not a church all about numbers. I pray that God would prevent and protect us from being all about numbers. But numbers are always bad. In one year, God has run our church from 40 to 200 people last week. From zero members to 110 members. From four children to 40 children. And I reflected a lot this past week in praying for our church. And I have to say that I have a little bit of fear as I think about our church. Fear that we will forget why we planted this church. Fear that we will forget who we're supposed to be as the church. Fear that we will lose sight of our vision and our mission. Fear that we become an attraction 
or a show on Sunday morning, rather than a true community, a Christ-centered, cross-cultural community that exists for the glory of God and the good of Germany. There's great excitement about what God is doing in our midst, and I am so thankful. But there's great danger. There's danger that we face, and there's a real enemy who wants nothing more than for us to get off course, to lose sight of what we're called to be as God's church. It could be really easy, really easy for us to drift in our mission. Have you ever gone for a swim in the ocean when there's an undercurrent? I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Florida and Alabama uh, for going, going out down there with, uh, with my family for some vacations. And we would go out in the ocean for a swim. And my parents would tell us over and over to be careful that the undercurrent does not take you too far away. Uh, they would tell us to look, when we got out in the ocean, to look back to the shore and pick two markers. Pick an umbrella or, or a building, two markers that you can tell that will let you know that if you go outside of those markers, you're being swept away too far down the coast. And as long as you stay within those two markers, we were not in danger. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, give us markers to let us know if we're being swept away. Markers to let us know if we're being true to the task and the course of the mission God has given us at this church. Christ said, Lord willing, we have many, many, many years ahead. And this passage gives us three markers to let us know that we're drifting our mission. Three markers that will signal danger. Three markers to help us know we're being God's church. And those three things are devotion to God's word, devotion to one another, and devotion to work. Devotion. Look at verse 42. They devoted to themselves. They devoted. Devotion was the key characteristic of the church. And there is a huge difference between liking the idea of something and being devoted to it, isn't it? Right? Someone can like the idea of running or exercise or being a member of a gym. And they can get the running shoes and the Nike shorts. They can get the gear. They can get a membership to the gym. And they can talk about running and exercising all that they want. Right? They like the idea of being a runner or being someone who exercises. But you know someone who is devoted to it when they schedule everything else around that one thing. Right? The person tells you they cannot meet you for 6 a.m. breakfast or for 5 p.m. coffee because they're going to exercise. Right? Devotion means making it a priority. Devotion means you sacrifice for it. You give up meeting for breakfast. You give up meaning for that coffee because you were devoted to exercise. And devotion is what we see here in Acts chapter 2. Three things that this church is making a high priority and they are sacrificing for the sake of it. And the first is devotion to God's word. They were devoted to God's word. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I said this last week, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God, it does not mean that they turn off their minds. Rather, it means they use their minds. This new community devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They studied, they read, they sought to understand the scriptures. They were devoted to theology. Now, theology is another word that scares people. 
Some people are anti-theology, right? Let's just talk about Jesus. But theology means the study of God. The study of God is all that theology means. In the early church, they were not trying to relive their experience at Pentecost over and over and over. They were not trying to move from one emotional experience to the next, but instead it says they went straight to the teaching about God. Now, I'm not discounting experience. We should all experience God and experience Jesus by the Holy Spirit. But I am saying this. Theology, the study of God, helps us understand our experience and rightly interpret our experience. See if you can follow me here. C.S. Lewis uses the analogy of a map to describe theology. So, for example... If you were walking around downtown Durham with a map of Durham, and you were looking for the Durham Bulls baseball stadium, track with me. you were looking for the Durham Bulls baseball stadium, and you went up to someone and asked them about the Durham Bulls, just because they could point to where the stadium is on the map doesn't mean they've actually been to a game. They've never been there when the fireworks go off at the end. They've never eaten a hot dog when the bulls win a game. They don't know the experience. Right? But at the same time, if someone wanted to tell you about their experience with the Durham Bulls and how you can go experience it, it would be really hard to do that without them having a map and giving you directions on how you can get there and how you can be sure that you are in the right place to experience the Durham Bulls. I know that may be kind of confusing. Listen, that is what is true of theology. Just because someone can tell you a lot about theology, they can point it out on a map, they've read systematic or biblical theology, they can point out theological definitions, doesn't necessarily mean they've experienced God. And at the same time, if you want to know how to experience God, how to get there, theology is needed in order to rightly understand if you're having a genuine experience of the true and living God. Acts chapter 2 is a community that is reading and they're studying the scriptures. They are devoted to learning the truths of God. They were setting their mind on the things of God, being transformed by the renewing of their minds, allowing the scriptures to shape their worldview. This is huge. Because, as N.T. Wright said, when there is no attention given to teaching, people revert to the worldview of the surrounding culture. When there is no attention given to, the, to teaching, people revert to the worldview of the surrounding culture. We, as a church, do not teach and study God's Word. Our children can become, we can become, people that are easily swayed by our surrounding culture. We must be a people who study the Word of God and teach, as Timothy charged the commons, to teach our children the Word of God. We must study theology, who God is. We've got some great books on our book table. If you've ever checked those out, we've got many other resources we'd love to put in your hands. But we must be devoted to learning God's Word. It must be a priority, and it will take sacrifice if we're devoted to it, right? It is much easier to watch TV, Music, browse around on the internet than it is to study the Word of God 
And it doesn't take much looking into the history of the church to see when the church stops being devoted to God's word, its teaching, its doctrine, its theology, then it begins to look a lot like the culture around it. And before too long, the church begins to lose its vibrancy and begins to die and begin to climb. The apostles' teaching was the foundation of this community, and it should be ours. Without a foundation, we will get knocked down by the winds of the shifting sands of our culture, and that is a danger that we face. But if our foundation is the apostles' teaching, we will stand. So where do we go? To understand how to live in this world. When you're asking questions about how now should we live as Christians in this world, how to be a church in this world, we look to the Word of God. We are devoted to God's Word. Second thing we see is that there's a devotion to one another. They're not just devoted to God's Word, they're devoted to one another. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, I think that word fellowship has lost a lot of its meaning and power in our culture, and even our church culture today. And I used to joke around with a guy that was on staff with me doing campus ministry with RUF at UNC for five years. We would joke that the ministry was about the three Fs. Food, fun, and fellowship. Right? We kind of just joke around with that word. Uh, and of course, our ministry was way more than just food, fun, and fellowship. But we kind of laughed at the word fellowship because that word is thrown around a lot especially in church culture, but we really know, we really know what that word means, fellowship. <laughs> the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which means partnership. And this partnership is further described in Acts 2, verse 44. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They had all things in common. They were devoted to one another and they were willing to sacrifice for the sake of of the other. They were sacrificing preference. These were Jews from all different cultures, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and so they would sacrifice preference in order to be together because they had a common Savior who was making them into one family. They were sacrificing material possessions. Verse 45 says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that any had the wealthy. And those with abundance were giving to those in need. They were sharing when the needs arose. Now let me clarify, this is not talking about communism or socialism, or any ism that we'll throw on this. This is not a forced sharing and distribution of wealth. This is completely voluntary. People who are so devoted to Jesus that they know to love God means to love their neighbor. And to love their neighbor means that they give and they share and they sacrifice. Listen to what Kent Hughes said about fellowship. He says, fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness. It is not punch and cookies. <laughs> it does not take place simply because we're in the church hall. Fellowship comes through giving. True fellowship costs so many people never know the joy of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. The truth is, we will have fellowships only when we make it a practice to reach out to others and to give something of ourselves. Here's the thing, my son. Most of us like the idea of fellowship 
And the fellowship that we're seeking here at Christ Central is multicultural, multi-class, multi-generational, multi-personality, this church that reflects the city. We love the idea of that. And we can come in here on a Sunday morning, and we can sing songs together, and we can see some diversity, though I pray for much more than we have on a Sunday. And we can be like those people who buy the running shoes and the Nike shoes. We like the idea we're not going to make it a priority. We're not going to sacrifice in order to go for that run. See, church is more than just Sunday morning. The question is, will you and I make it a priority and get to know people in this community? Will you and I sacrifice and give ourselves to others? And that will mean that you have to give of your preferences. I don't care if you're black, Asian, white, or Latino. If you're going to be devoted to others who are different than you, it will cost you. It will mean learning new music, new food, new culture. One thing I do love also about this church is there are people with financial needs. And there are those in need of finances. Will those of you with plenty give sacrificially to meet the needs of people in our church? Now, giving is more than financial, but it sure does involve financial. And those of you without financial means, I hope you know that you have much to offer and much to give. Will you give your talents and your time and your gifts? Are you willing to give to others in our church? There's a danger, Christ Central, that we become an attraction church that's maybe diverse on Sunday mornings, but we forget to be devoted to one another Monday through Saturday. And to be devoted to one another means it will cost. It will cost you. It means you will have to prioritize it. You will have to say no to other things so that you can say yes to others in our community. I had a friend that said, we don't have to work for our salvation, right? It's a free gift. But we sure do have to work at relationships. It's so true. You will have to work. It will take time and effort. And you will have to say no to maybe some work at your job. No to some of your comfort. No to spending something on yourself so that you can say yes to somebody else in our community. If you're devoted to one another because of guilt, it will not last. You'll give up. And if you're devoted to one another because you think this is a cool thing that we're doing, it will not last because it's actually very hard work. We must be led to do it. Because we have a common ground. Every single one of us who are in Christ have the same Savior. And we are part of the same family. One family. And people love family, don't they? We love family. We don't have to question that. Families share. Families sacrifice. Families give for one another. And wouldn't it be absurd if I yell at Henry and Rachel to get off my couch, stop eating my food, get out of my bed, my bed. Get out, right? That'd be ridiculous. We're family. And what is mine is theirs. Not even a question. So it should be with the church. We're family. What's mine is yours. We give. We sacrifice. We share. And if we stop doing this and we become an attraction church, a show on Sunday mornings, we're in danger. The last marker that we see is that they're devoted to worship. Not just devoted to God's word, they're devoted to one another, they're devoted to worship. Look at verse 46. 
day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This is speaking of actual worship. This is liturgy. The breaking of bread does mean what we do here every week, what we're possibly the Lord's Supper. We should be a church that highly values and prioritizes Sunday morning. Songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, the word that is preached, the sacraments, we should be devoted to worship on Sunday mornings. But this also means that they were in and out of one another's homes, eating meals together. And they were doing it, as the text says, with glad and generous hearts. It was more than just Sunday worship. It was being in one another's homes during the week and having food, good food, and laughing and sharing stories and doing it with glad and generous hearts. Sounds a little bit like what we hope our city used to be. Or our dinners for six. Or parties that I hear some of you throw and invite others to attend. I love when I hear people in our church throwing get-togethers and parties and inviting others to come and be a part of it. I love two Fridays ago when we celebrated our one-year anniversary to be in, top, in the top of a building that we can see the skyscraper of downtown Durham and hear Donovan, who plays the drums here, play with his awesome trio some jazz music. We enjoyed some great music. And we ate some good food, though I think we were shorted a little bit on that. We should have had a little bit more food than that. But it was good. And then we heard Miss Beverly and Todd and Mary and Donovan share about how this community had impacted their life. As Mary Gardena said, that Friday was a place where heaven and earth were meeting. It's been called a thin place where heaven and earth meet. That was a taste of God's kingdom on earth. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says that this community were praising God. Praising God. They were a people of celebration and joy. They were worshipers on Sunday morning and they were worshipers Monday through Saturday with one another. Here's a danger. Christ is that we become so focused on the mission at hand that we forget the God of the mission. That we become doers and we forget that we're first worshipers. Which is why we need Sunday mornings and city groups and times in one another's homes, times of celebration, times of joy. And the crazy thing about this is that when we are a community of worship, when we're a community of joy and celebration, when we praise God, we become like Acts 2, verses 47, having favor with all people. Having favor with all people. One of my favorite things that happened two Fridays ago, having two different people who were working this event come up and say, what are you? And what's the name of, this, what's the name of your church? They were interested in what kind of church we were. I love that. When we live like we're supposed to live, like the church, in Acts chapter 2, we become a magnet. People begin to take notice about the way in which we live, the devotion that we have to God's word, the devotion that we have to one another, and the devotion that we have for worship. And they taste a part of a community that they want to be a part of. That's evangelism. And our prayer here is the end of our passage, that the Lord added to the number day by day those being saved. That God would do that in our midst. So may God increase our church community, but may he also keep us from danger and guard us from drifting off course and being swept away by any currents that may come. And may we always be devoted to God's word, to one another, and to worship.
Lord God, I ask that you would, you would, by your Spirit, do this. What, what we see in Acts chapter 2 and what we're asking for you to do in Christ Central cannot be manufactured. It can't be manufactured. A true community that looks like this is devotion, true devotion to the Word of God and to one another and to worship, you have to cut us to the heart. You have to change us. So God, give us a picture of your kingdom. Give us a picture of you, Jesus, being king and spirit and power to live and to be the church on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.